Let's roll, baby. Welcome to the local angle here on FanDuel TV as we welcome the meeting of the minds here as we get ready for the Yankees and the Red Sox, the first installment at Yankee Stadium Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I'm John Jastrzemski, the host of New York, New York. We welcome in Brian Barrett, the outstanding host of Off the Pike. Mr. Barrett, do you remember when we were growing up that Yankees, Red Sox, it didn't matter if it was April, July, September, or especially October, you stopped everything that you were doing. It was must-watch TV. And, you know, I think about it, Brian. The rivalry is clearly not what it was, but you give me peak 2003 to 2007 baseball in the regular season, it didn't get better at that point in time, my man, than the Yankees and the Red Sox going to battle. Yeah, especially you go back to 03 and 04. Of course, 03, we all know how that ended. Grady Little leaving Pedro Martinez in a little bit too long. You get the Aaron Boone home run. And then the next year, it looks like the Yankees are going to go back to the World Series again. The epic comeback from the Red Sox. And of course, in between there, the Red Sox hire Terry Francona, say goodbye to Grady Little. But those are some of my favorite days growing up as a fan, right? Because the whole documentary that the boss Bill Simmons put together, four days in October, it just, that was such an epic event. And those were clearly, JJ, at that time, and I know the Yankees lost at 03 to the Marlins, young Josh Beckett and all that. But those teams were the two best teams in baseball for those two years. And it was just such an epic sort of battle where the Red Sox are going to get A-Rod. Then they didn't get A-Rod. A-Rod goes to the Yankees. Manny Ramirez was going to be traded. The Red Sox bring in Kurt Schilling, the bloody sock. It was just the Red Sox are trying to get to where the Yankees were. And they finally got over the hump. But the back and forth, the brawls, A-Rod slapping the glove, it was just epic. And I'm with you, man. It was awesome back in the day. It just, it doesn't have the same luster. I was hoping after the 18 playoff situation where Aaron Boone went by the Red Sox clubhouse and he had New York, New York playing. I thought that was going to be the start of a rivalry between those two teams. Again, obviously they're rivals, but then it sort of went more so the Yankees and the Astros than it did the Red Sox and the Yankees, right? It's a great point. And, you know, 2018, the Red Sox beat the Yankees in four games and you're thinking, okay, Aaron Judge, New York, New York, the Red Sox coming into Yankee Stadium, smoking them in game three, then winning in game four on that Eduardo Nunez play. And you're like, okay, these are two teams that are going to be really good for a long period of time within the American League. And it kind of seems like, Barrett, when the Yankees are good, the Red Sox are awful. And when the Yankees are okay, then all right, you get the year where the Red Sox in 2021 find their way to the American League Championship Series. It is weird thinking about the fact that the Red Sox have two postseason victories over the Yankees. But then when you talk about the other years with the Red Sox, they're just completely irrelevant. That's what it boils down to. And I don't know if we're there yet with the Red Sox because there are a lot of playoff teams involved. They're in the best division, hands down, in Major League Baseball. But that's kind of been the M.O. from 2018 on. Either Red Sox are thrown in the Yankees' side and they beat them, or they're nothing to worry about. Yeah, they're extremely perplexing. If you think about it from this perspective, they've won the World Series with three different managers. They've won the World Series with three different front office members, if you will, in terms of guys running the organization, Theo and Ben Sherrington and Dave Dombrowski, right? So they keep switching things up when it comes to that. There's never consistency with the team. I get it's great that they have these highs where they've won four World Series since the turn of the century, but the consistency is never there. And the ownership group, reacts very quickly to when things go wrong. And that's sort of been where these Yankees and the Red Sox haven't really aligned, where it was, what, 04 to 2018. And then we got the epic wild card game in 2021, which was incredibly entertaining and all that. But there hasn't been enough consistency with it. I thought maybe, like I was alluding to, the 18 year, you had the Tyler Austin brawl, <laughs> Yankees fame. But overall, it just it doesn't have the same luster. And from a Red Sox angle and all this, it does feel like, they need to take two or three, or they're pretty close to done. They just dropped two of three to Cleveland. This Red Sox team is reeling. We don't know what's going to happen with Chris Sale. My imagination would be that he's out for a significant amount of time. I wouldn't be shocked if he's done for the season. Who needs another test after he had an MRI and a CAT scan? You don't know what's wrong with the guy yet. Clearly, they don't think it's a good thing with Chris Sale. And JJ, the problem is this. They're depending on a healthy Chris Sale. They went into a season depending on a healthy Chris Sale. And if they don't have that guy, they're in major trouble. 
I'm curious to get a sense because I watched the Yankees and the Dodgers last weekend at Chavez Ravine and your old pal J.D. Martinez is mashing. And he looked like a guy in the second half of last year, Brian, who looked totally cooked, totally done, didn't think he had much left. I thought the Dodgers grossly overpaid for him. Well, they were dead right, and I was dead wrong because J.D. Martinez has done nothing but hit for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Then you have Nathan Avaldi, who I thought the Red Sox completely dropped the ball by not bringing him back. He was always a tough pitcher against the Yankees. He had a lot of moments of postseason brilliance. 2018, of course. 2021, he was really good. And I know he missed time, but he was one of those guys. I I was happy to see him leave the Boston Red Sox, full disclosure. (laughs) And then Michael Walker, who, listen, kind of a fringe guy, but is pitching great for the San Diego Padres. Out of those three in Boston, where is the fan base the most upset? Is it Avaldi? Is it Martinez? Is it Waka as far as their departures? It's Avaldi, And for the reason that clearly they need starting pitching right now. And he resonates with the organization the most, the fan base, I should say, right? Because if you go back to when they won the World Series, Nate was great in that playoff run. And remember, he pitched that epic 17-inning game where he came out of relief, the only game they lost, but he ate up all those innings. And then you go back to 2021, who did they start in the wild card game? It was Nathan Avaldi. He was a big game pitcher for this team. So that's the guy that they're the most pissed about. But the issue is that Nathan Avaldi. And I understand why fans are upset. I'm upset that he's not with the organization. I think they should have went to him during last season and offered him a contract when he was dealing with an injury throughout the year where he would probably be more likely to sign a multi-year deal. But here's the problem. Nate went to the Red Sox. They offered him a three-year contract. He didn't want it. They wanted more than that. His representation thought they were going to get four years. Guess what? They didn't get four years anywhere. Texas offers him two. And at that particular point in time, he's still interested in the Red Sox. But the Red Sox are like, well, we're not going to give you a four-year contract. He takes two with the Texas Rangers. So in that sense, I defend the Red Sox a little bit, but I come back to the original point. It's the same thing that happens over and over with this organization. They're too late. They should have never paid Bogarts what he got with San Diego, but that deal could have been done two years ago. Rafael Devers is making over $300 million. You should have approached him way before you did because you could have got a team-friendly deal done. But to answer your original question, it would definitely be Nate because this team is one of the worst rotations in Major League Baseball. 26. Nate is probably going to win the Cy Young. He's on pace to win the Cy Young in the American League right now. He's third in baseball in pitching war. And you could have had that guy with your team. So do the Red Sox fans look at this team, Brian, and believe they can be in legitimate contention? Obviously, these next two weekends are gigantic for them. I think these games are bigger for the Red Sox, quite frankly, than they are the New York Yankees. There are three at Yankee Stadium this week. There are a bunch of games at Fenway Park next week. And with baseball and the Philadelphia Phillies are a perfect example of this. You never feel like you're truly out of it. As long as you get in the playoffs, there's six teams that go. It kind of gives you that illusion that, hey, if you just get in, you could be a team capable of making noise. Does New England look at the Red Sox as a team that can ascend in this loaded American League East? Or are they kind of like out on the Red Sox that need to be pulled in? Where is the fan base right now? Everybody's out on them right now because they just have so many issues. I talked about the starting pitching. Like, who can you depend on outside of Chris Sale? Paxton's been good, but of course, he's coming back from an injury. Then you got a bunch of young guys. Whitlock's already been injured this season. Tanner Houck cannot go through the lineup the second time. He's had issues when it comes to that. And then the biggest thing is they have issues defensively. They are legitimately one of the worst defensive teams in Major League Baseball. You look at Defensive run save, they're 28th. You look at errors, they're 29th. They've made the most throwing errors in Major League Baseball. Kike Hernandez has made 13 of them. Kike Hernandez has the most errors in Major League Baseball. They knew that Trevor Story was injured to start the season. And the only guy they brought in was Mondesi. Mondesi's coming off a torn ACL, he can't play. So the Red Sox have been hurt by a Yu Chang injury. Think about that. We're talking about Yu Chang being injured to start the Red Sox because they don't have a competent Major League shortstop. JJ, this guy cannot toss the ball to second. So the defense has been bad. Rafael Devers has not had the year that they thought that he was going to have. And then the defense is just horrible. The second base defense is horrible too. Emmanuel Valdez minus six defensive run saves. He's been one of the worst defensive second basemen in Major League Baseball. Casas, who is a young guy, he's been atrocious at first base. So there's not a lot of hope. The only hope is this. Duvall's coming back this weekend, and he was basically Babe Ruth before the injury, although it was only eight games of Babe Ruth. 
I'm trying to find the division odds for the Boston Red Sox. They are. You want to hear these, Barrett? I have the FanDuel odds right Not now really, in the American but, yeah, League. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I'm going to humor you because, listen, the Yankee odds are kind of pathetic, too. Tampa's minus 280 to win the division. Yankees are at plus 460. Toronto's at plus 800. The surprising Orioles are at 16 to 1. Take a guess what the Red Sox are to win the American League East. I got to say, like, plus 5,500. They are <laughs> plus 10,000. Oh, my. Plus 10,000. Feels- the Boston Red Sox are plus 10,000 to win the American League East in June. That is insane. What were the Yankees again? Yankees are a plus 460. That's a, are, are you stunned with what Tampa's doing? Yeah. They're incredible. They are incredible. Well, they do everything right. They run the base as well. They play good defense. They hit, and we always know that they're going to pitch. And that's the thing that aggravates you, and I'm sure it aggravates you as a Yankees fan as well. They always have another arm that's coming up. The Red Sox don't have homegrown pitching prospects. They have Bayo. That's pretty much it right now. Like, Drohan, a kid in AAA, that's great, but he's not ready to pitch at the major league level. The Red Sox really haven't developed a homegrown pitching prospect in years. I mean, you think about it, you really have to go back to Lester because Buckholtz, of course, flamed out with the injuries. But even Erod, that's a guy that they got via trade. Think about all the good Red Sox pitchers since they won these World Series. Beckett, trade. Lester was the only guy that was homegrown. Sale, trade. David Price, who he had his issues here, but he was part of a World Series team. That's a guy that you picked up in free agency. Nathan Avaldi, trade. They don't develop pitching prospects, and Tampa is better than anybody at doing that. Insane. We'll come back, and there are issues with the team that I cover because they may have a record that's north of the 500 mark, but you get a sense for what life is like without one of the premier players in all of baseball. And news for you, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls across America, it ain't pretty. We're coming right back. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear. Especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. Welcome back into The Local Angle on FanDuel TV. I'm Brian Barrett from Off the Pike. And with us is John Jastrzemski from New York, New York. So, J.J., we're getting into this Red Sox-Yankees series coming up this weekend. And one of the things that sticks out to me is I wonder, Alex Cora, I still believe, is one of the best tacticians in Major League Baseball. And I just wonder how long he wants to keep doing this with this Red Sox organization, right? Because you look at this team, he's had a bad year last year where he didn't have the proper team that he needed. You could say the same thing about this year. We were just getting into the defensive issues that they've had, the issues in the rotation. And what if at the end of the season, Cora decides, hey, you know what? I don't know how much longer I want to be part of this Red Sox thing. Do the Yankees fire Aaron Boone on the spot and try to go after I Alex I mean, I Cora? would, listen, I would go drive <laughs> North I-95. I would give Alex Cora the uh, full complement of treatment, whatever he wants, and make him the next manager of the team. Uh, unfortunately, though, Brian, I am now resigned to the fact, and I have not exactly been the biggest Aaron Boone pom-pom waver out there. But as long as Brian Cashman is the general manager of the New York Yankees, the Yankees under Aaron Boone have gone through years where they lost to the Red Sox in a one-game playoff, where they got swept four straight games by the Houston Astros. They've yet to make a World Series, and yet he's not going anywhere. And the general manager is not going anywhere. 
And it's not that the Yankees have been a bad team. Listen, they've been in the playoffs every one of those years. If you look at the win-loss record, statistically speaking, I have to acknowledge and be fair that it's been a very good one for Aaron Boone as Yankee manager. But does he inspire confidence from me? Does he inspire confidence from the Yankee fan that they have the next, you know, Zen master in the dugout? No, they don't. And listen, we know that the manager's spot has been minimized to some degree in Major League Baseball. I think there's some truth in that. But I look at guys around baseball. Bruce Bochy is a perfect example. Look at the Texas Rangers this year. I know they added Evaldi. I know they got bounce back years out of Seager and Marcus Simeon. But you're going to sit there and tell me that his presence and the championship pedigree that he brought from San Francisco hasn't made a difference with that team? I'm not buying. I'm one of these guys, Brian, that still thinks there's something to be said for that presence that a manager can provide. And I still wonder if Aaron Boone has that right ingredient. Let's go with the players. He loved, The media loves him. They eat off whatever he's throwing at him. But does he have that it factor about him as Yankee manager? I have my doubts. Well, it's an interesting concept, too, because it happens in baseball all the time. You just look at a team, for example, like the Red Sox, where Terry Francona was incredible for this team after Grady Little. Terry Francona is dealing with a clubhouse that they lose it when they have the epic collapse 7-20 and 20 down the stretch, the chicken and beer year. They move on. Now, they hire the wrong guy, Bobby Valentine, but then Farrell works. Farrell is not working out. They hire Alex Cora. The next year, they win the World Series. So sometimes it just works that way. I mean, I see it in the NHL right now where Bruce Cassidy, who was the former Bruins coach, is now with Vegas. They're about to win the Stanley Cup. So Aaron Boone may be a good manager. It may just be time for the Yankees to move on from him. And I look at Alex Cora and I think about the fact that he just had to bench Alex Verdugo in a game because Alex Verdugo didn't run to second when they were down 5-2 in a game this week. And clearly, Justin Turner coming up, you had an opportunity to to at least make that game closer against Cleveland. This is a team that cannot make mistakes, and that happens with a guy like Verdugo. And I just wonder, like, is the message, like, Cora's message is getting through, but does he have the players around him? And the frustration is growing here because earlier this week, when they made a bunch of errors again, he said the roster is the roster. And if I'm Alex Cora, I don't know how much longer I can trust that Bloom's actually going to give the guys to me that work. Because the one year that they made it to the playoffs with Bloom, Cora's bringing starters out of the bullpen during the regular season. So if I'm Alex Cora, I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if Bloom's still here. Do I really want to work for this guy? I think there's a lot of truth in that. And having your horses is everything. We're seeing it with the Yankees right now. And you can be the biggest Aaron Boone hater on the planet. And you have to acknowledge that the Yankees have been one of the most decimated teams in all of baseball when you talk about injuries. Now, we can applaud Tampa Bay. And listen, Tampa Bay's organization is terrific. But let's think about this for a minute. The Yankees are missing Harrison Bader multiple stints on the IL. Yankee record when Harrison Bader plays is outstanding. There's a guy by the name of Aaron Judge who, outside of Shohei Otani, is the best player in Major League Baseball. Does everything. Plays high-level defense. Gets on base. Broke the home run record was on pace to maybe break that record again before he found his way on the IL Saturday, crashing into the wall at Dodger Stadium. So you're without him. A guy by the name of Carlos Rodon, who was a big free agent pickup for the Yankees, who was supposed to be the guy, Brian, that was going to allow them to close the gap with the Houston Astros, was going to be the guy to really allow the Yankees to go and make their move. He hasn't thrown a pitch this year. Think about that (laughs) for a minute. So, you know, We spend a lot of time talking about the Yankee manager. And listen, I think he's far from perfect. But I also think you have to acknowledge with this team, a lot of things they expected to be givens, givens going into the start of the year, have been anything but Judge, Stanton, Bader, Rodon, missing extended periods of time, problematic. Yeah, and you look at it too. That's the one thing where the Yankees get the benefit of the doubt, unlike the Red Sox. The Red Sox signed Corey Kluber to be a starter. And you know what? Corey Kluber has been able to pitch, but you know what? He's been really bad. Corey Kluber has completely fallen off a cliff to the point they took him out of the rotation. And in their game on Thursday night, he comes out of relief. He gives up eight hits in one inning. In one inning, JJ, the guy we talked about earlier, Nathan Evaldi, guess what? He's given up five hits in his last two outings. And Corey Kluber comes out of the bullpen and just gets completely annihilated, which brings me to the series coming up this weekend because I really look at it, and it's a major series for the Red Sox, as it is for the Yankees, but I give the Yankees the edge, just because you look at it, I know Duvall's going to be coming back for the Red Sox, but Whitlock has had one good start this year, really. He has not been consistent whatsoever. 
His changeup was not great last time compared to the previous start, and he's going up against Cole. So obviously you favor the Yankees in that game. Then you look at the Houck situation. Tanner Houck, basically, if you look at his numbers on the season, second time through the order, 326 opponents are hitting against him. JJ, there's four guys in baseball hitting north of 326. So basically, if you hit against Tanner Houck the second time through the order, you're an MVP candidate. And then you go to the final game. Bayo is a game that you would feel confident about from a Red Sox perspective because he has been pretty good. This is one of the young pitching prospects that has been good. I know Schmidt's going for the Yankees, but I look at this and I'd say the most likely outcome is the Red Sox lose two of the three. And I think it's would be, I would be more surprised if the Red Sox took two of three than if the Yankees swept the series. Interesting. See, I think the Red Sox are going to take two or three this weekend, Brian. Wow. I think there's going to be a sense of desperation out of the Red Sox. It's kind of put up or shut up time for the Boston Red Sox. They have had success in the past getting to Garrett Cole. And listen, Garrett Cole silenced a lot of the haters last year in the postseason. Season was on the line against the Cleveland Guardians. He is the main reason they got to the ALCS. He dominated in game one. They're down two to one. He went into the eighth inning of that game four. So I have nothing but good things to say about the fierce competitor that Garrett Cole is. And listen, in a day and age in which a lot of starters, they're missing time, they're going 150 innings if you're lucky, Cole is a bulldog. He takes the ball every fifth day. Now that said, he has struggled mightily in his career against Rafael Devers. And the last couple of starts, the long ball has been an issue for him. Not the case against the Los Angeles Dodgers. So I wouldn't be surprised if we get a high-scoring affair on Friday night. But I just, you, you, you see with the Yankees and the Red Sox a lot, when you expect to see a certain outcome, you normally don't end up getting that certain outcome. So I, I think conventional wisdom to your point says, yeah, the Red Sox are probably going to go and lose two out of three. The Yankees and their pitching are probably better set up for this particular series. But no Aaron Judge in the lineup for the Yankees. Yankee lineup scuffling. They're not the same team without them. Uh, I think the Red Sox come to Yankee Stadium and play well here. I think they take two or three. I hope you're right. I don't think you're going to be right, but I certainly hope you're right. Now, here's what I'll say about the Red Sox lineup. So if you look at it, they took two games from the Padres, and then they lost the finale. This is the 21st of May. After that stretch, JJ, from that point on, now it's nine home runs after the game on Thursday night, but they were dead last in baseball during that stretch. A 16-game sample size where that team hit eight home runs. The Boston Red Sox hit eight home runs. Rafael Devers did not have a home run during that stretch. Rafael Devers, they just paid him north of $300 million. And if you look at some of the expected numbers versus the actual numbers, he's been hurt significantly. He's the 15th worst and the 20th worst in terms of the gap between those. But at the same point, he hasn't been walking until this month. He swings at everything. And the other component to all this, he's hitting south of 250. His on-base percentage is south of 300. And this is the guy that was supposed to be carrying this Red Sox lineup. And I'm not saying the organization has buyer's remorse, but man, it's a lot of money for a guy that his value is hitting. His value is not yeah, in he's his there defense. To hit. Brian, you yeah. nailed it. He's there to hit. And when you give a big contract like that, there's something to be said for that pressure that sometimes an athlete has to deal with. And that's why I applaud Judge so much because Judge in a walk year, Everyone knew he was going to free agency, had the season of his life. And I know he goes down with this injury on Saturday, but for him, Brian, after getting all of that money and being in the pressure cooker that is New York City to go and basically handle the expectations and dominate the way he has dominated, that kind of shows you in a nutshell why he's one of the special ones. You know, there are great players, right? Like, I think Rafael Devers one of the most feared hitters in baseball. He's one of those guys that has killed the Yankees throughout his career. But when you can do everything on the baseball field and you can handle the heightened expectations, that's when you know you're dealing with a special one, my man. Yeah, so I hope that this weekend that at some point we see Rafael Devers get back on track because I do feel like that is something that could sort of kickstart his year. And as you said, he has unbelievable numbers against Garrett Cole. So maybe that's part of it. I'm just not hopeful that it comes to that. But the biggest thing I'm looking for this weekend, can we just get some clean games defensively from this Red Sox team, JJ? Go is that like they put, they're not good enough to have these bad defensive games and have these issues with the rotation and in the like they, they can't get anything right. There's not one the only thing that's working for them, JJ, Yoshida. This guy is an unbelievable yeah, he's been awesome. That's he's it. Been awesome. That's the only that's the only thing Heimblum did well this offseason. The rest of it, it's terrible. Uh from a Yankee perspective. 
where's the offense coming from? And I can't believe I'm saying it. Josh Donaldson. Josh Donaldson, since he's come off the aisles, hit three home runs. That's how desperate the Yankees are without judging this lineup. I'm searching for Josh Donaldson and Jake Bowers and Willie Calhoun to hit for the New York Yankees. Not going to be your household name of Yankees in the everyday lineup this weekend. Just a little food for thought, America. All right, so the guy covering the Red Sox thinks the Red Sox dropped two of three. The guy covering the Yankees thinks the Yankees dropped two of three. So, JJ, great stuff, man. A lot more coming up on the local angle here on FanDuel TV. You'll hear from the guys from the Philly Special, and you'll hear from Jason Goff, of course, in Chicago. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Ringers Philly special. Shield Kapadia here, joined by Cliff Augustine. Cliff, it's early June. I'm at my daughter's uh, softball practice yesterday. A dad comes up to me. You know what he said? He said, I, I already have the itch. What's he talking about? He's talking about football season already. It's June, but this Eagles fan base is so ready for training camp to start, for this season to start. So I thought what we'd do today, Cliff, the big question, we're obviously going to get into all the little stuff in the months ahead, but the big question is, can the Eagles get back to the Super Bowl? It doesn't happen often. I'm going to make the case today for why they will get back to the Super Bowl, and I'm going to make the case for why they won't get back to the Super Bowl And you're going to tell me uh, if I'm nuts, if I'm smart, if my points are stupid, if they're valid, all that stuff. How does that sound? It does sound valid. And also, this is peak NFL offseason right now where we got our quarterback playing baseball and everybody wants him to play on the baseball team because they're not good. (laughs) And then they have the slow-mos from OTAs of him throwing passes to Dallas Goddard and they're right on the money and, and, and everybody's like, oh my God, I can't wait till the season starts. And then you start seeing the obscure stats just pop out, right? <laughs> like like the old Benny Soul stats where he'll find, you know, Jalen Hurts had the best quarterback window of somebody who threw 20 yards down the field with a safety over top, <laughs> something crazy like that. Some stat you don't you never heard about or cared about, really. Yeah. But then but then, you know, it just gets you riled up for the football season. And man, since the since the Sixers left that bad taste in our mouth, I've been ready for football season. Honestly, like I, I really I be thinking about it all the, all the time. The Phillies haven't really you know shown some promise yet, so we'll see later down the line, later in August, you know, late September, what they'll do. But right now, I really do got the itch for football right now for sure. Here's why they're getting back to the Super Bowl, Cliff. Here's the case, okay? One, it's very simple. They're loaded. I mean, specifically offensively. Like I'm doing this exercise. Uh, just going through all the rosters in the NFL right now. And the Eagles roster specifically on offense is right there with anyone in the league. I mean, last year they had a historic season offensively. Only people they lost from that group, running back Miles Sanders, left guard, uh, right guard Isaac Sayamalu. That's it. So you're set on offense. Offensive success translates to wins in the NFL. We know that. So that's number one. Number two, they have young guys who are either ascending or or in their prime. A lot of times a team gets to the Super Bowl, they come back the next year and you say, oh, you know what? They've got players in their 30s. This isn't going to work out well. Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, like all these guys are in their early to mid to late 20s. Like these are not declining players where you say they can't match what they did uh, last year. So defensively, it's a little bit trickier, no doubt, but you still have young guys, Jordan Davis, uh, Josh Sweat, Hassan Reddick, we'll see uh, what Jalen Carter brings to the table. But I remember that season that went sideways with Carson Wentz in 2020. I looked at the roster and I go, they don't have like any young talent on this team. And, and Howie Roseman has really corrected that and built up the roster. So uh, that's number two. And then the last thing, Cliff, no one's caught up. Like you look around the continent, you look around the division, the commanders, come on, we're not even going to spend three seconds talking about the commanders. They're not going to be a threat. <laughs> You're not worried Eagles. about Sammy Howell or Brissett or nobody yeah. like that. No, yeah, going over I, there. no changes, nothing. You, you should be good there. Uh, the Cowboys, the roster looks good, but listen, if you want to, if you want to bet on Mike McCarthy, who is taking over the offense, uh, if you, if you want to bet on him providing an upgrade, go ahead. I'm not going to do that. And then you have the Giants 
were a cute little team. They overachieved last year. But come yeah. on, the Eagles crushed them in those games last year. You zoom out, the 49ers, we don't know who's playing quarterback for them. The Lions, kind of good team, but kind of screwed up their draft. Uh, so it's a weak conference there. So those are my reasons. That's the case why the Eagles are going to buck the trend and they're going to get back to the Super Bowl. What do you think? Did I miss anything? Are those points valid? How do you see it? So also, real quick, in, in the last 10 seasons, there is a stat out there that says of the 10 Super Bowl losers between 2012 and 2021 seasons, eight posted a, a winning record the following year, and seven even got double-digit wins the next year. And the Patriots even won it all after they lost to us back in uh, 2017. So that is promising that you're more than likely to, to have a good record Again, you have a bunch of the, the core guys coming back. Like you said, you have a bunch of second contract guys on that first or second year. Of, you know, pretty sure somebody's still on his rookie deal. I mean, he'll obviously get the bag after either this season or next season, whenever that payday is, uh, is ready to go. You know, you retooled with DeAndre Swift. Uh, you got Rashad Penny in the backfield. I think that's an upgrade over Miles Sanders alone. And then you still got Boston Scott. It feels like N'Kobe Dean is ready to step up and be in a leadership position at, at linebacker. Um, like all the ingredients are there. Brian Johnson being there last year, turning into the OC this year. Um, there, that is a bit of, an, of a concern because, like ben, ben always preaches this, like Steichen was so good from one p one p.m. to four p.m. And I truly believe that, like Steichen did call a great game each time with Hertz. So I'm hoping you know Brian Johnson can pick that up and kind of implement his ways and, and what he thinks. And him and him and Hertz already have a rapport anyway. He's a QB coach, and I think they, I think Brian Johnson uh, worked at Oklahoma, correct? With him? Yeah, they have a history like going back to Hertz's high school or, or high college school. days for sure. Yeah, yeah, no yeah, doubt yeah. Brian it. Johnson, former quarterback himself, like former, I think he actually had the NCAA cover. So like, I'm not, I'm not concerned about him as well. Um, the defense, that's the biggest question, right? Um, you have a bunch of new faces on defense. You lost four you know, key guys. You lost Gardner Johnson. You lost Hargrave. You know, and then you lost my, my guy, TJ Edwards, who you guys used to kill all last year. But that was so lack. That was so. Yeah. Lack yeah. Don't so, put, so don't like put me in the boat with him. <laughs> so like used to kill TJ, but TJ, great tackler. Gardner Johnson, like I said, he played every snap that he could possibly play when he wasn't hurt. Hargrave, you saw him get the bag from San Fran for a reason. Hargrave was a dog, probably the best D lineman on the Eagles last year by numbers. And, uh, you know, that turnover on defense does, you know, air some caution but like you said it feels like the rest of the nfc hasn't stepped up all right great great segue so here's the case <laughs> why they're why they're not getting back we can okay. call this the hater shield the hater segment uh or whatever <laughs> you want to call here's the case why they're not getting back you stated uh how you feel let me see if i can convince you or plant some seeds of doubt uh into your mind number one you gave the stat about the last 10 years which is true usually the super bowl loser comes back and they're pretty good, but we're talking about like the bar is high this year. Like you right. lose in the divisional round, you know, no one, no one's happy in Philadelphia. So if you look at the last 20 years, Cliff, only once has the Super Bowl loser got back to the, the Super Bowl the next year, just once out of 20. And that's the team you talked about, the New the England Patriots. Patriots, who ended up uh, winning it. 40% of the Super Bowl losers missed out on the playoffs. The following season. So there is a far greater chance that you don't even make the postseason compared to getting to the Super Bowl. So this is kind of a trap we fall into every offseason, and it's hard not to. You see a team that made the Super Bowl, you come back, you try to predict what's going to happen the next season, and you're like, oh yeah, they're going to be really good. And again, we just stated the case. There are reasons to believe that with the Eagles. But if we just look at history the last 20 years, that hasn't always been the case. So that's number one. I got two more for you. Number two, they could get stung by some of the things you just mentioned, the luck stuff, the regression. Last year, all 22 starters played in the Super Bowl. They were all healthy. Like, we've been watching football all our lives. That never happens. Like, normally it's week nine and you, yeah. you feel like your roster remember, is well, de remember decimated. The, remember the year the Eagles won a Super Bowl. Like, it, it felt like half the team That's was right. in the infirmary. Like, yeah, no, no, no doubt about it. You 100% do not really ever see that. Like, I would be shocked if the Eagles were to make a deep run and, you know, four of the day one starters weren't hurt. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that that's the more likely scenario than what happened last year. And we talked about the younger players, but they do have like some older players in key spots, right? They have Kelsey, Jason Kelsey, they have yep. Lane Johnson, they have Darius Slay, they have Fletcher Cox, they have Brandon Graham. Like all those guys are in their 30s. So whether it's injury, whether it's declining play, the most likely scenario is some of those guys aren't going to be as good uh this year as they were last year. By the way, Eagles easiest schedule in the NFL last year. 
that's right. not the case this year. We talked about that stretch in the middle uh, of the season that's going to be real tough. So that's another one. And the last one, before I get your opinion on this, you touched on this one. A lot of turnover on defense. I mean, they had 10 players last year who played at least 500 snaps. Half of them are gone. Javon Hargrave, Gardner Johnson, TJ Edwards, Marcus Epps, uh, Kaiser White. Five of the 10 players who were core players for this team last year are no longer on the roster. And it's not like they went out and replaced them. It's a lot of what you said earlier. They're, they're leaning on these second-year players to step up and fill roles. But those guys uh, are unknown. So maybe that happens, and those guys are great players but that's far from a guarantee. So there you go. That's my pitch for why they're not getting back to the Super Bowl. Did I plant any seeds of doubt in your mind? Are you going to be texting your friends after this going, you know what? Like I was feeling good, but I'm not feeling as good right now. Or are you saying, get out of here? That's all nonsense. No, because I feel like with the, with the turnover factor of it, especially on the defensive side, like you still have the, the big dogs over there, right? You still got the Fletcher Coxes of the world. You still got the Brandon Grahams of the world. You still got Slay, who seems like a big leader. He even tells guys like, hey, look, we're not about to be co-workers. We're about to be friends. Like, come hang out in my crib. Come kick it with us. Bradbury, all pro. Uh, like, Kelsey, all pro. Like, again, yeah. these dudes are up there in age. And yes, they're vulnerable to get hurt and they're vulnerable for whatever. But these guys are leaders and they're still playing at a high level. We, we could talk about Slay's production towards the end of the season, whether it fell off or not. You know, he did give up a couple big plays. I did see him get mossed by... What was that uh, Isaiah Hodgins? I think it was on the Giants. I think in that in that final game he did get mossed. But um, I, I think just with the way that the NFC and no one else has really upped their roster on the NFC side, I think that plays in Eagles' favor. But you're right though; the numbers do say the Eagles probably won't return. Just on the simple fact of like you just you you don't get the the it's the hard. It's number one. <laughs> yeah. It's super hard. It's super yeah. hard, and you don't get the that injury bug that most teams get and you know when they try to return and go back to a Super Bowl like when the Pats went back think about the consistency of that it's Tom Brady it's Belichick it's Gronk you know you you add, they added you know Gilmore who pretty much helped them win that entire Super Bowl like it's it's things like that that help teams go back and I think the Eagles have done that I think they've added a lot in order you know especially from we're, we're looking at Jalen Carter I'm talking about him they're they're talking about him breaking the sled already in practice like I'm ready to see him I'm ready to see him get on the field. I'm ready to see Jordan Davis, you know, be healthy this year, come back, make a big impact. He was obviously he was a top pick last year. I'm ready to see what these dogs can do. So I think the scenario is more than likely that the Eagles actually go back due to the factors of what the NFC teams haven't done. I, I just don't I haven't seen the improvement. Like, is San Fran scary because they got a hard grade? For sure. San Fran's defense is great. But who's playing quarterback for them? Quarterback is the most important position. We we yeah. the Eagles have the best quarterback in the NFC. So what like where where's the where's the drop off from that from that standpoint, you know? We'll see what happens. We'll break it all down. Remember you can catch this segment on FanDuel TV and listen to the Ringers Philly special Spotify uh, on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. 
When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This is the local angle, by the way. Shout out to our good people over at FanDuel TV. You know, you can catch the full go Sundays, Tuesdays, Thursdays on Spotify, wherever you get your pods, but most importantly on Spotify. Um, Guys, it's happening. It is happening. You know, I'm not a spin the block guy. You feel me? Once I'm done with you, I'm done with you. I don't like coming back and checking back in on you unless it's on Facebook to see how poorly your life is going. You feel me? But these Chicago White Sox have not lost in the month of June. They are in the Big Apple right now, taking on John Yastrzemski's New York Yankees. And they come away with a big victory against a team that didn't have Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton still out there. That kid Volpe, that shortstop for the Yankees, though, is prime time. Like, that dude's going to be a real, real player. I enjoyed watching him and him run the bases, more importantly. Like, that dude, that dude has instincts for a young player, but the game was everything you want out of the White Sox. First of all, they sweep the Tigers. You feel good about that, right? Everybody's up in arms. Yeah, only five and a half back of them bum-ass twins who are only a game over 500. Steve Stone telling people, yeah, this is when the best teams start to play their best baseball, and I'm just sitting here in the cut like... Yeah, I I don't spin the block. You got to show me. You have to show me. And this Yankees-White Sox game did everything to confound and also um, enlighten me about what I need to do in terms of my summer plans. First of all, I want to shout out to Major League Baseball and the rule changes. Um, Yankees games used to take three and a half, four hours on the regular Okay, you watch a Red Sox Yankees game, you're gonna be there for at least seven, eight, nine, ten hours, maybe, right? Don't don't throw a double header in there. You you there for two days. Okay. That's not happening anymore. I sat down, first pitch happened, next thing you know, two hours and twenty-something minutes later, we out of this piece. I don't know about y'all, and I know people are bitching right now about baseball and oh, I want to spend time at the ballpark. Is they're, they're rushing me out of my summer? No, no, no. Pack this bitch up. We got shit to do. You hear me? I I got babies to put to bed at 8.30. Let's, let's get it going. And what makes it better than Lucas Giolito coming out there and throwing six innings of no-hit baseball against the Yankees in Yankee Stadium? I know no Aaron Judge, but you still got Stanton in there. You still got that jerk Josh Donaldson out there. He went deep. All right, but this was the Lucas Giolito-Sebi Savali game, and then all of a sudden we'll get to what happened in the seventh inning, but... Lucas Giolito, slider was sliding, all right? We all know now at this point, because he looked like Lucas Giolito from a couple of years ago, a few years ago, Cy Young candidate Lucas Giolito, but we all know it's a velocity thing with Lucas. That fastball was hitting 95, 96. When that's happening, that slider is damn near unhittable, right? And he, his slider and his changeup were working. His off-speed stuff is working. He threw a 3-2 changeup, I believe, to Anthony Rizzo, a dude who is you know, famous for the B-hack, choking up, making sure that he's getting contact on the baseball. He, he struck out Josh Donaldson, and we all know what happened between he and Josh Donaldson uh, a year ago where he was insinuating that Lucas Gilito was out here using the sticky stuff and all that other garbage that was going like Josh Donaldson has been uh, a thorn in the side of Chicago White Sox baseball players and him and Tim Anderson know exactly what Josh Donaldson is on. So to see him strike out Josh Donaldson and also, you know, not fall into the prey of throwing at guys and doing all that goofy shit like you got to win games, you got to win games. And that's what happened. Lucas Giolito goes out there, throws six innings of no-hit baseball. His off-speed stuff was magnificent. But, of course, you know, in the name of all things that are holy and Steven Strausberg's elbow, pitch count comes into play. You got to sit him down. You go to Joe Kelly, who's been one of the better relievers in the last month in all of Major League Baseball. Go ahead and look up the numbers. Joe Kelly has been rock solid, right? This is a guy who was oft injured since he's been a Chicago White Sox. You've seen him star, and then you've seen him also falter. If Joe Kelly can be the dude that they signed a couple of years ago, like be that dude, this team is a little bit different, right? Because you set up your bullpen the way you want it set up. 
Kelly Graveman, then Liam Hendricks. Now, Liam Hendricks, he got taken yard, right, by Josh Donaldson, but that's okay. That's fine, you know. You know, Liam Hendricks just just stared cancer down, you know. And shout out to Josh Donaldson for being pro-cancer, by the way, because that's all I took from that at bat. You know, (laughs) Liam out there, just his first real save opportunity, high leverage moment, Yankee Stadium. You're supposed to just go ahead and swing at three pitches, go sit your punk ass down. But, of course, if anybody's going to be for cancer, it would be Josh Donaldson, right? And and that's how I look at it. Uh, And none of this is in jest. I believe that he is actually one of the people who is rooting cancer on because that's the kind of asshole Josh Donaldson is. But Lucas Giolito did his job. Liam Hendricks did his job. Sevi Savala comes in there and hits what can only be thought of as a Yankee Stadium home run. This joint was like 320 feet, like soaking wet, right? Like that's every inch of the baseball that he caught. 320 feet into that right field corner. And then his second at bat, he goes up there and hits a 435-foot bomb. Like when I saw Clark Schmidt's name on the Dinger Tuesdays fan duel situation, the last guy I had in my head was, yeah, Sebi Savala's going to go, you know, two for four and hit two home runs and damn near win the game by himself. But that's what he did. But that's not why you're here. Because if you've been watching Chicago White Sox baseball all year long, you know, at some point, there is a nut-kicking moment. It doesn't matter when. Sometimes it happens in the first three innings. Sometimes it happens in the middle three. Usually it happens at the end of the game when it's most detrimental. But Andrew Benintendi... And Luis Robert Jr. in the seventh inning with the no-hitter still on the line. Joe Kelly trying to go ahead and do that whole combination no-hitter thing. Luis Robert Jr. just simply tails off the baseball while Andrew Benintendi is converging on it as well. And Luis Robert Jr. goes and gets everything, right? He is a gold glove level center fielder. But in those moments, you know, these are the things that have gotten the White Sox beat all year long in the last two years. So even in a win, you're looking at things like, you know what? I thought y'all was going to clean this shit up. I thought you guys were going to be better than this. And for Luis Robert Jr. to play the way he played leading up to that moment, because last week or so has been a struggle. He's been on something like a 540-something OPS. Like, he's been really up and down this year. And his defense can't falter because this team does not have the margin of, for error that other teams have. Right. So your defense has to be on point at all time. And then this is the other thing, too, because even in a win, I feel horrible. I feel horrible as a White Sox fan, because even in a win, five of the last six games, four in a row, you beat the shit out of the Tigers. Now you're going to try to handle the New York Yankees without Aaron Judge, who is going on the injured list with that uh, sprained ligament in his toe and contusion after running into the outfield wall the night previous. Yo, yo, Mankata, if Jake Berger hits a walk-off grand slam the game before, I need to find Jake Berger's name in the lineup somewhere. And I'm not a lineup guy. I'm not a guy that's pouring over the line. Oh, why isn't this guy in white? I think over 162 games, it's going to balance itself out. In a tight ball game, Yohan Mankata hits a baseball to second base. Second baseman feels the ball. Yohan Mankata busts his ass out of the box because he thought he smelled a hit. Then all of a sudden, the second baseman gets to the ball, throws it to first base. But by that time, he had already decelerated enough that it wouldn't even even matter. It wouldn't even have been a bang-bang play. And these are the little things that I'm talking about. I got no problem. No problem with you booting a baseball, right? Because you, you know, you're locked up in the head or whatever the case may be. But the the physicality of running to first base. It should be as simple as that. And I know this team kind of got sold. You can slow it down or you could decelerate, especially if your quads are tight or if your calves are tight because there's a bunch of soft tissue injuries that have been plaguing this team for the last two or three years. But God damn it, at some point, y'all, y'all ain't good enough for this shit. You're not good enough for this. You can't Cadillac it, and I hate that term. I hate that term because it's a baseball term, and we all know what that baseball term means. You feel me? Like, I remember when I used to hear, oh, he pimped that home run, and he's Cadillacing it to first base. And I'm like, why don't you just go ahead and say what you really want to say? Huh? Why don't you just go ahead and, and put that little sauce on it that you really want to put? I mean, if anything, if there's any sport, you can put that sauce on it, and you ain't going to get too many replies in the clubhouse because ain't too many of us in there. You go ahead and say what you need to say. 
But yeah, as I was saying, he Cadillacs his ass all the way to first base. And I'm like, wait a minute. Hold on. The dude who has hit 11 home runs so far this season, or 12, 11 of them at guaranteed rate field. I know you're on the road, but this man just won you a game. Put his ass to second base. Put him at third base. Like, these are the things. Reward the players that deserve it, that are out there busting their ass, right? The talent's going to take care of itself. And obviously, this is the problem for me because talent-wise, this team should not be touched in this division because they're that talented a squad. So what's the problem? What's the disconnect? Well, guess what? When when you're too cool for school in the outfield and you're not calling off Andrew Benintendi, balls drop in. They break up no hitters. When you're not busting your ass down the first baseline, like Pedro Grafold told me they, they would be doing. That's what I was told. That's what I was told. I was told that this team wouldn't have those issues this year. And even in a win, they've won four games in a row. And I know they're not going to ever play a clean baseball game, but God damn it, get close to it. Get a little bit closer. Like these are the expectations. And the only reason I'm upset is because where they are right now, they shouldn't be. I don't care about all the injuries. You're talented enough. So for the Eloy Jimenez's of the world, the Luis Robert Jr.'s of the world, the Tim Anderson's of the world, the sprint speed has been documented. These guys have not been running as fast as they have in previous moments in their careers. Tim Anderson, Yoan Mankata, all these guys. Like, at some point, y'all just going to be the coolest motherfuckers who get bounced out of the playoffs or don't even make it. So, like I've been saying, and I have said about basketball before, you build your game in the regular season. The White Sox can't rely solely on talent because they're going to run into teams that are better than them, and all of those errors and all of that slow base running and all the miscommunication in the outfield is going to bite you in the ass, and we've seen that happen in playoff series. So, yeah, I'm happy as hell. My team has won four games in a row, but the way it's happening just isn't refined enough for me. Let's have higher standards out here. And that's all I got. So go White Sox. John Yastrzemski, that Yankees outfit that you got going on over there. It, it feels like the Yankees, but that, 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 don't, that don't, you know, it don't look like the Yankees. You know, it's a little shaky. You throwing Clark Schmidt out there and hoping for the best, okay? And he still had himself a fine outing. So White Sox baseball continues to confound me. And if you guys can hear it in my voice, I'm being dragged back in. Yeah, yeah. I just told you I don't spin the block, but I ain't got shit else to do this summer. So the block will be spun. The White Sox are going to get that you up text from your boy. (laughs) Check us out on Sundays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays right here on the Full Gold Podcast. This has been The Local Angle.